0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, we began our our summer preaching series last week uh, through the book of Proverbs and talked about how the book of Proverbs is incredibly accessible and relevant to us today and practical and to our daily lives, right? Touching on a whole host of themes that we all encounter at some point in our lives and and even throughout our week. And there's no mystery that a book about wisdom, gaining wisdom, living out wisdom, would have much to say on parenting, uh, specifically on fathering. And so today we talk about some wisdom for fathers. And, you know, on this occasion, we, we speak specifically to dads, but of course, this is not just exclusive to fathers. Anyone who wishes to grow in wisdom, anyone who um, wishes to grow in wisdom, mothers, um, grandparents, coaches, mentors, uh, bosses, to anyone who is given responsibility, uh, we need wisdom, and God's word is for us. And so, let's go to Proverbs chapter four. We'll read just a few verses in in a couple different chapters uh, throughout Proverbs. And and then we'll walk through this together. Looking at Proverbs chapter four, verse three to four, and then Proverbs 20, verse six to seven. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Proverbs 20. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find the righteous who walks in his integrity. Blessed are his children after him. This is God's word. As you can see, this is uh, somewhat particular to dads, but wisdom that is for all of us. And three uh, factors here, if we desire to be people of wisdom and not just people of wisdom, but passing along wisdom to those who have been entrusted to us, our children, uh, whether coaches, mentors, teachers, whatever, uh, there's factors involved in, in what we should be focused on, what, what can help us be people of wisdom. Three pieces of wisdom for dads today, for all of us. Teach your children what to believe, show them how to live, and cherish your children with unconditional love. I instruct you this morning, not as one who has developed this wisdom and now coming with my own opinions, but a a fellow recipient of God's wisdom and one that needs to look also into my own heart and life and receive God's word and walk in this way for his glory and my joy. And so we don't even receive, you don't receive this as my wisdom on how to be a dad of wisdom, but we go to God's word. And so we all feast on this together. Let's remember that. Let's look at this call to to teach our children what to believe. Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. This is the instruction. This is the wisdom. And this is the outcome of it is what is life, abundant life, the good life, the life that God's called us to. We all want that. We all want the, the abundant life. We all want the, the good life. We all want to to kind of be in a place in our life where we know that we're living as we ought to and as we should. And we're, we're getting the best out of life. We're squeezing the best out of life that can be squeezed out, but not just for us, but we want our children to have that too. It's almost like we want to, we want to leave our children better than than when we got them. We want to do better than what our parents may have done for us. We want to pass along a good life an abundant life to our children and what a great blessing that is to know that our, that our children are doing well and flourishing. And we can have that, that abundant life, and we can give that because God gives it to us. And so in this way, we imitate the love of the Father who instructs us and teaches us in the way to go by passing that along and teaching those after us. God relates to us as, uh, as one who primarily gives And so that's what we're told here, that we are to give something to our children. What should we give? Well, we give them words of truth. We give them the truth to open up our mouths and to bring instruction. Contrary to a a popular view of parenting uh, that says the role of a parent is to provide a, a comfortable environment for our children to find their own way. And that's a popular view of parenting to kind of provide them safety and comfort and resources so that they can kind of come into their own, to, to find their own way. We don't want to impose our rigid beliefs on them or our experiences on them, but let them find their way. But instead, the wisdom of God says: a father is a teacher. Teaching truth, teaching instruction. You can almost picture a father sitting down here in in these words. We're kind of invited into a conversation between a dad and his son. And uh, he's sitting down maybe with his teenage son or daughter and here it's not just father and son, but there's three generations present. So there's a dad talking to his child, talking about grandpa and saying, you know, when I was a son, when I was young, grandpa taught me these things and now I'm teaching you this is the way to live. This is the way to abundant life. This is the way to the good life. And so we see this beautiful, tender picture of this generational wisdom that's passed down over three generations. He taught me what to believe. He taught me the truth. He, he wasn't silent. Dad wasn't silent, but he opened his mouth and he spoke when he needed to. He instructed me, And those times, here's what the the middle generation now is saying to his child. He's saying, those instructions he gave to me shaped my life. They made me into the man I am today. It impacted my life. It helped me live. It taught me the way to go. And I remember those instructions. and And I see them now as a grown man that they gave me life, that they kept me from death, And I want to give them to you. And I love you so much to give you that instruction. This is a a tradition of wisdom that dads are to have within their homes. No doubt you you remember the traditions that, that you've been taught as a child from your parents. Good, bad, ugly, whatever they are. There's things you probably do today because of the things that you were taught. I mean, does the toilet paper go over the top or underneath? You know, important things like this. And then there's psychopaths who say, oh, I don't know, I just put it on whichever way it is, right? (laughs) So which is it? Like you were were taught by somebody. You didn't just wake up and say, I'm gonna decide how I will live in this way. There's a phrase that I think about every single day, multiple times a day that my dad taught me. Mirror, blinker, blind spot. Mirror, blinker, blind spot. It's just this phrase that is stuck in my brain. What do you do when you merge lane? Mirror, blinker, blind spot. That's it. That's the process. Mirror, blinker, blind spot. Never been sideswiped, not once. (laughs) We're we're taught, and, and imagine this, if we are taught things that stick with us and repeated throughout our life and it shapes our life, I mean, how much more than the best things that we can know? How much more than the truth of God that can shape a life and train a child and prevent painful consequences and hardship and heartache. We have to open up our mouths, open up our mouths and teach. We all have those things. You're probably even thinking of them now. Maybe they bring some joy and smile on your face. Maybe they bring some, um, some confusion and hurt. That you're thinking, well, yeah, I was taught and I had to relearn things and actually find out how to do it in a better way. But it, there's a kind of teaching that can influence our lives that could save us. And we are called to open our mouths and to speak that to our children. But what is that? What what do we then teach? I mean, what what is it that we should teach our children? Well, we teach them the whole counsel of God, which is summarized in the story of the gospel. Because it seems daunting, right? The whole, I teach them everything about God. Well, God's story, God's uh, message to us, his instructions, his precepts and commands, it's all embedded within this one story that teaches us that God is holy. He's worthy of all glory and allegiance. We have sinned. We're prone to wander from God's truth that brings life. We're prone to be self-sufficient and self-dependent. We're prone to be selfish and to rely on our own wisdom. We go our own way. And this we wander into devastating consequences and, and effects for all of life and, and God doesn't leave us there. He promises rescue. He says, I will not leave you in your sin. I, I will not let your sin have the last word, but I will, uh, I will rescue you from this. I will reverse the consequences of your bad choices and the times that you chose to rebel against my right commands and good truth. And God's faithful to that promise to rescue us. He sends his only son to die for our sins. Jesus, who lived the life that we failed to live and died the death that we deserve to die, that we would be reconciled back to God by grace through faith in God's provision. And then God sends us into the world to live our lives as ones who proclaim the excellencies of God brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous life. And he promises that one day he will return. There is hope in the present for our sins and our past sins. There's hope in the future because our sins will not get the last word. All of our heartache has an expiration date and he will come back and he will usher in a reign in his kingdom that is ruled by his perfect truth and perfect love and we are to teach our children everything about life in the context of that true story. That, that true story influences everything. Well, what do I teach my kid about this? Well, we, we remember that, that God is holy and worthy of all allegiance, all praise, all glory. Where's the temptation to, to trade that, that God's glory and his holiness for, for something else? Where are we prone to wander? what's tugging on our heart that's causing us to drift away from God's truth and into our own way of living. We need to open our mouth and speak into that. And we find ways to to weave that story into every day of our lives. Every situation, every circumstance, every situation fits into that story and we have to teach it. We have to open our mouths and teach it. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul speaking uh, of those who don't know this story and don't know God. He says, how will people know the truth if, if, uh, if they don't believe God? And how will they believe if they've never heard of him? And how will they hear about him if no one ever goes and teaches them? And so that's what I need to go. I need to go open my mouth and teach them. And in Romans 10, he says this, he says, and so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. This is a call to all of us, but we think of it on Father's Day, a call to dads, a call to all those who are called to, to be responsible for people. Naturally, our hearts are prone to wander from God. We don't naturally drift into a place of knowing, believing, and trusting in God. And God's word says, and Paul says here, he says, our kids won't trust in him if they don't believe him. They won't believe in him unless they hear about him and they won't hear about him unless I tell them. Every day, every day we open our mouth and find opportunities to, to speak truth. Truth that, that, that's consequence is life. The good life, the abundant life that we want for ourselves, that we want for our children, that our parents wanted for us. What do you want most for your kids? For them to live, not just to have any life, but the good life the flourishing life and how will they find it if they don't believe in God and how will they believe if they've never been told and how will they be told unless you or somebody else that God provides takes up this call to open their mouth and to tell the truth. And so we're created to be dads here. You're created to be a father for this reason, for this reason to teach your children the truth that lead to life. So there's a teaching that kind of that uses words and there's a kind of teaching that doesn't uses use words and we need both and the second piece of wisdom is this we need to show them how to live. And it's not, we don't pick one or the other that suits us best. Both of these go together. They're inseparable, but useful for different things and in different ways. So we need to show our children how to live. We see this in Proverbs 20. There is a father who says true things. And then there's a father who lives with integrity in his manner of life or his walk in life. And our passage says in, verse, in, in, in Proverbs 20, who can find a guy like this? And so I appreciate that because it is exposing the fact that this is difficult. It is acknowledging the challenge that it is for us to, to talk the talk and walk the walk, right? So the invitation here for dads is, and this, you, you'll appreciate this and find this one you can manage, live the blameless life. Oh, good grief. What a way to feel defeated on Father's Day. What is God calling you to do as a dad? Be blameless. Okay. That's what this passage means, really. And that's what's, why it's followed by the caveat, who can find a dad like this? I mean, this is what God has called us to, to be men of integrity. But who are we kidding? Who can find a dad like this? These are hard to find. Blameless doesn't mean faultless. It To walk with integrity does not mean to walk without sin. It means to walk according to the confession of our faith, to to not just preach and teach, but to live out those very convictions with consistency, faithful. It it means to draw draw attention to the fact that that children, like really all of us, let's be honest, are highly sensitive to hypocrisy, right? Right? Kids are no different. We 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 appreciate that, right? Like, yeah, they, they say good things, but they don't live like they believe, and so they've lost credibility. Kids are highly sensitive to hypocrisy. When our words don't match our lifestyle, it causes disorder, it causes pain, it causes confusion, it causes doubt. When we instruct our children, if we don't take our own advice, it'll undermine our efforts. Along to our efforts to pass along wisdom that sticks, sticky wisdom, not just telling our kids what to do, but it's like, well, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. I tell them every day to, to do this or that. It's not sticking. So let's think about this. How do we, how do we walk that, that faith? How do we live out that confession? It's not just in the, the righteous living. It's how we act when we're not living the righteous life that God has called us to. How do we act when we sin? Look at your manner of life. Look at your manner of living. How do you act when you sin? Do you make excuses? Do you point blame on others? Do you minimize your sin in the presence of your kids or dismiss it or don't own it? Or do you repent of it? Do your kids see you apologizing and asking for forgiveness? Do we add the word, but to the end of every confession, right? I'm sorry for getting angry at you, but you just have to listen better next time. Yeah, I've been there. Daddy's sorry for shouting, but you just need to be a blameless child as (laughs) the Bible says. Do we tell our children to respect others, but we're rude and judgmental to the server at the restaurant, the customer service agent on the phone, the person who wrongs us? Do we tell our children to to share, but we act very possessive and stingy over the gifts that God's given to us? Do we tell our children it's okay to be sad, but never give them an opportunity to see how we navigate our own sadness in a broken world. And the list can go on. Hypocrisy is when our actions don't match our confession. And it's Jesus's number one rebuke of the Pharisees. Number one rebuke, really his only rebuke. If you look carefully, you'll notice that Jesus did not ever critique the theological convictions of the Pharisees. He never said, you're, you're wrong to believe this. He, he never critiques them for being right or wrong. He tells them, that actually, they're right. You are right. You believe rightly. Instead, he said, your manner of living is wrong. Look at Matthew 23. He said this of the Pharisees after rebuking them. He turns to the crowds and says, so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works that they do for they preach but do not practice. I mean, this is astonishing. Who else do you know of that Jesus comes on the scene and says do whatever they say. That's incredible. That's incredible for Jesus. I mean the the the, the incarnate wisdom of God and the incarnate truth, the the physical representative of the invisible God says they've got it right. Whatever they say, do it, do it, believe it, but don't live the way they live. This is amazing. It's possible to be right and also be very wrong. It's possible to tell our children the path to walk, but then also lay like tie cinder blocks to their ankles along the path. Because our manner of living does not match our confession and our preaching. Walk in this way, walk in this way. And then we weigh them down. And that's what Jesus says of the Pharisees. He says, you weigh them down. You basically like nail their feet to the ground when they're trying to walk a faithful life. Not because of what you say, what you say is right on. It's because of how you live. You know, we can give our children truth, we must give them an example. We give them an example. And above all of these things, right, we've talked about give them truth, show them an example how to live. But above all, there's something actually, something else that we can do. And that's to cherish our children with an unconditional love. Looking again at Proverbs 4, three, when I was a son, here, here is Solomon, we presume, who edited and wrote the Proverbs. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. See, I love this, brings in mom into that, the influence that mom and dad had on his life. I said, we're seeing this conversation between these three generations, right? Grandpa, dad, and son. But wisdom's not the only thing being passed down. What's being passed down here is a remembrance of, of a parent who cherished you, knowing that he was cherished and loved by dad. The only one, he says, the only one, I was the only one in the sight of my mother, tenderness from my father. What's happening here? What does this mean? We, we know, so Solomon, uh, what does this mean? He says, I'm the only one my mom saw. So was Solomon an only child? <laughs> no, he actually had three brothers. So was he just like, was this like a diss track or something? He's like, I was the favorite of mom. That's not what it was. So what are you saying? He's, yeah, I had three brothers, but it felt like I was, the, I was just the apple of my mom's eye. My father was tender with me as he instructed me, as he showed me his manner of living, as he corrected me. The me- I'm sure he disciplined me harshly, but the memory I have is just my dad loved me. My dad loved me. It means that Solomon felt that he was the apple of his parents' eye. He knew he was cherished. He knew he was loved. He knew he was adored. And this doesn't exclude discipline and rebuke and instruction. In fact, the Proverbs actually tells us the opposite. A way of giving our children love is through discipline, correction, instruction. But it means that he knew that he was loved when he succeeded and he was loved when he failed. He knew that he could depend and rely on a parent even when they were angry, when they were upset, when he disappointed, that he was cherished. And to grow in that awareness was so powerful in his life. To grow in that awareness brought credibility to their instruction. It affirmed their way of life. A child should feel that they are the object of a parent's powerful and unconditional love. It really is true. They won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? I've always hated that phrase, but it's true. It's true. It is right here. Teach them, show them, cherish them. So dads, how are we doing? Who, who feels like they fail, you know, fall short of this? i we'll put up two hands. All right. I should see every dad's hand right now, actually. <laughs> You know, for some, you know, whose children are older, um, it may feel like the years have been lost. It may be thinking, I I wish I had this 20 years ago. Uh, For some whose children are younger, you may feel that you have more time ahead, but you are fully aware of your failures. and, And you're thinking, okay, I haven't taught them as I should. I haven't shown an example. And I'm not sure if my kids know I love them as much as I want them to. And this is exactly where we see how God's word is not good advice, but good news. You see, good advice would say this, dads, you gotta teach the right things. You gotta live the right way. You gotta be blameless and walk with integrity. And they have to know you love them all the time and it's all riding on you. And it's true that this is the heart of God and these are his commands. And because this is the way God is for us, And he instructs us in the way to go. But to say that it's his good advice for us is then to tell you, guys, do better. Like to go out into your families and into your world and just try harder at this. And you will try hard for a week and you'll make promises for a month and then you'll fail again. And then you will feel dejected and a failure. You will feel hopeless and you will feel shame but there is a distinction between good advice and good news. Good advice only leads to despair, but the gospel allows us to feel, to be honest about our weaknesses and our failure to obey God, and then doesn't leave us in our despair, but then leads us to the provision provided through God. He says, I I, I know that you fail in this. I know that you're weak in this. I know that you're not the dad that you want to be or the dad that he has called us to be. But God gives us hope through the wisdom of his words. Look at the way that God is to us the father that he has told us to be. He says, I will instruct you in the truth. I will give you words of wisdom. He teaches us. He instructs us. He He gives us true words and we are told that, I mean, look at what we have, the story of God. And he says, this was a mystery hidden from eternity past and I'm making it known to you. I'm telling you, we have a God who is not silent. Do you realize that 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 was the apologetic all throughout scripture is the thing that separates the one true God from every other proclaimed deity in all the world is that our God is not mute. He opens up his mouth and he speaks to us. It is the thing that separates him from all the lies of our culture, from all the lies of every other claimed God and influence and opinion. He says, I will teach you. I will teach you in the way that you should live. He teaches us and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He teaches us and then he shows us how to live. The word of God becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. Eternal son of God puts on flesh, becomes like us. And he says, I know this is hard. I know this is impossible, but I will not only teach you in the way you should go, but I'll I'll, I'll live the life that you were supposed to live, but failed to live. And it led him all the way to the cross. I'll, I'll show you what it looks like to live a sacrificial life I'll show you what it looks like to turn the other cheek, to live a life of wisdom. I'll show you what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'll show you what it looks like to live by faith and not by sight. I'll show you what it looks like when you're betrayed and rebuked, when you're offended. He gives us hope through the beautiful life of Jesus who didn't only talk the talk, but walked the walk so that we, by faith, would be made righteous because of his righteousness. But not just in his words and in his life, but we are told that we are the object of his affection, that we have his unconditional love. He gives us hope through the unconditional love poured out for us on the cross where Jesus took our guilt He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know how they're disobeying and rebelling and rejecting. And he went and died for us. We wandered from God in our sin and he goes to the cross for us. You see this this beautiful imagery here to feel loved by God, like, like Solomon shows us here, being loved by his father, King David, and his mother, Bathsheba, he says, to be loved is to feel the face of a parent looking back at you with delight. And he's remembering his mother and he's remembering his father and he's, and he's remembering that. He said that like the, the, their face was always pointed towards me. You know what that's like when you, you know what it's like to feel shame. I mean, people don't look at you, right? They, they would look the other way. He says, my mom's, my mom and dad's face was always before me. I could see their eyes. And they were eyes that looked back with, you know, with, with delight. To be loved is to be that object of the light, of delight. To be loved is to feel like you're the only one that that person never looks at. And this is what Jesus had with his father. He knew this so well. He was the beloved son of God, the only son for eternity past. He always had the face of God ever before him, except one time. And that is when he died on the cross for you. He cried out to God whose face he always had before him. And he says, why have you forsaken me? Why have you looked away? Why have you turned away from me? I don't know what this has ever felt like and I don't like it. At that moment, he cried out for God's face and God was distant. He turned his face from his beloved son because at that moment, Jesus was embracing our sin and our guilt and a holy God could not have communion with sin. And he did this so that you and I would never see the back of God's head ever again. So that his face would never turn from us ever again. So that our memory of God would always be one of he looks at us with delight. Yeah, but you don't know how I've sinned, but you don't know how I've failed as a dad. You don't know how I'm struggling right now just to get a hold on my life and to live a good, abundant life. He says, Jesus took that. He took that sin and he nailed it to the cross and he was betrayed so you could be accepted. He was rejected so that you could see the pleasure of God forever. And one day we'll see that face to face. One day we will be in the presence of God, the the immediate presence of God, face to face with Jesus Christ, looking at his eyes and seeing only pleasure. We would know that God turned his own face from Christ so that he could accept all who turned to him and trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Knowing that that, that that displeasure, Jesus knew that that displeasure in that moment the most pain he has ever felt would be short-lived. For Jesus would take our sin to the cross. He would give his own blood for the punishment of our sin. And we are told that God accepted that payment suitable for our sin. And Jesus rose from the grave, triumphing over sin and death, was raised from the dead. And we are told, so will we be. And we are told that Jesus ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God where he rules over us and intercedes for us. And he says, let me tell you how good you got it. Ask, talk to God any way that you want and I will bring your words to him because we are together and we stare at each other's face with delight and that delight is shared with you. And so ask for anything you want in my name and I'll give it. Do you seek wisdom? Dads, do you seek wisdom? Do you seek to know the truth? Do you seek to, to, to be empowered to live the life he's called you to live? Do you seek to cherish your children? Well, now you can, but for a different reason that you did before. Before it may have been because you just, you wanted to be a good dad to earn uh, God's acceptance or to ensure that your kids would live a good life, but you fail often. But now you do it for different reasons. Now you do it, because you have been loved, because your sins have been forgiven, because he has promised a future for you and your children. And in that trust and in his faithfulness, you say, okay, I'm going to then walk in obedience for his glory and my joy. Knowing that when we sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us and wipes away our sin. You know, this informs how we view our past sins and failures. Look at your past sins and failures, how many they might be and know they have fallen on Christ and paid for at the cross. It informs also our days ahead and the ambition that we give and the obedience that we try to give as we go forward, not out of fear. We don't obey out of fear, but obedience, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are loved. You see these two things go hand in hand, right? I can't come and tell you you are loved to so live any way you want. I also don't want to come and tell you this is what God commands, do it right and do it better next time. Both of those are lies. We are seeing that the, the, the word of God, the truth of God comes to us. The wisdom of God is for us to grasp and hold onto and to walk in his way and that will bring life. But it comes not through our own endurance or our character, it comes through the life of Christ living out in us. So the best dad is a dad who fears the Lord and trusts in him. The best dad is the one who cries out for help when we are weak to depend on his strength. The best dad is one who admits that we are wrong and need, need forgiveness. And the best dad is the one who gets up every day knowing that God's mercies are new every single morning.